You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wellhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. Today, we're talking to Kevin Kelly, David Liu, and Julia Pollock, three developers at Bench Prep, about how they got started at their first job after bootcamp. Hello, we're back with Exceptions Welcome. I am Ben Wilhelm. And I am indeed Colin Miller. And we are here today with Kevin Kelly, David Liu, and Julia Pollock, uh, all developers at Bench Prep. Um, they are each uh, within about two years of finishing their bootcamp experience. And we are going to talk to them today about um, their experiences starting all at the same company at different times and uh, what that means for getting onboarded and um, getting comfortable with your job and your code base uh, and the sort of the routines around that. Um, so I think I will pass sort of straight over to Kevin here. Kevin, you were the, uh, the first hire of the three of you. Um, mm -hmm. followed shortly by David, as I understand it, and Julia a bit later. Um, what what was your experience coming on uh, to the project, um, onboarding as a new developer? Sure, sure. So um, I started in August uh, two years ago. Um, and at the time, I think I was like the 12th engineer, something like that, uh, to get hired. Um, so it was a relatively small um a company about 50 people um, and about a third of them were part of the sort of engineering team and uh, they went basically they went from eight engineers to 12 engineers they hired four new juniors at about the same time and so it was like a big you know relatively speaking it was a lot of new new people um, and uh, yeah so their their onboarding at the time was mostly uh, sort of personal pairing kinds of things with other engineers that were there. Um, there was a lot to learn. Uh, they used Ruby on Rails and uh, Vue.js, and I had a little experience with both of those things, but I had just been coming from a boot camp where we learned React and were focusing on, on that. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was very interesting. It was a very big code base to learn. Um, but I think one of the main... Uh, sort of the advantages uh, coming into bench prep were, was that uh, nearly all of the code that had been written, even over the past like six, seven, eight years for their platform, uh, was written by mostly by people who are still there. So, um, oh, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, it wasn't like somebody they, had, <laughs> you know, a bunch of early developers had had written the the basics of the platform and then left. Um, you know, the, the, the main developers were still there, um, three or four of them who had been there for quite some time. So there was always somebody who knew what was going on in the code base if you couldn't figure it out. And so you said that there was a lot of, uh, a lot of pairing done. Was, was there, was it mostly sort of, um, uh, an, uh, for lack of a better word, an, an oral tradition. Uh, things were passed by experience and explanation more than documentation, or was there some some mix there? It, there was some mix. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of the. the we have a, a Thursday ritual called lunch and learn, where we get together and 
someone will usually present some sort of information. Usually it's something that's new in our code base, but sometimes it could be introducing some library or, or a tool that we haven't used before. Um, and so there was a sort of a library of, of lunch and learns going back over time that had to do with the platform. Uh, so that was available to us. There's a certain amount of documentation um, built into the, the repos themselves. And then, uh, and then, yeah, a lot of it was just, a lot of it was just sort of experiential knowledge sort of gradually being acquired that they would, they gave us relatively simple stories to start with, you know, copy changes uh, and small changes to business logic that in the early days, it was like, you know, two days of figuring out where to make the change and then 20 minutes of coding. <laughs> right. Um, so it was a lot of stories like that in the, in the early part of it. And I, it was, um, I don't know if informal is the right way to put it, but there wasn't necessarily like a uh, really well-worn um, pathway to uh, exactly how you get brought on boarded except that you know we would uh, we'd be given gradually more difficult stories to work on mm -hmm. and then so julia you were hired uh approximately a year later is that right uh yeah i started last august so nearly exactly a year after kevin and david and and so the company had grown significantly at that point uh did did you have a a similar onboarding experience or was, did you have, um, was there any, any notable differences? Um, I think by the time I got there, certainly engineers, Kevin included, <laughs> um, specifically had put a lot of effort into trying to, um, make the onboarding process for newer engineers, less, less uncertain, less kind of, ad hoc if that's the word less improvised maybe um and there were like actually courses in the benchmark platform platform itself for me to look at to get to know the terminology better um there was like a little schedule on my first day but in term and in terms of like the tickets i picked up um I'm not sure that was actually as structured. Maybe I just don't have a very specific memory. Um, but I feel like I kind of just got thrown into like whatever ticket and paired with somebody. I've got a, a question. I'll like throw it to, to David so we can hear from you too. Coming into like a, a new language, maybe not the one that you had, had trained with be, before. What was the, what was that, that like just a, on a personal level to like, start something new that was really new like that you mean jump in from uh javascript from boot camp to ruby and um, view yeah um it was it was a lot um like the first time i picked up ruby was the development or the developer exercise for the bench prep application so um having to learn that along with rails and um the front end backbone and view in addition to the code base which as kevin mentioned is massive 
um, and some of the bench press specific um, terminologies. It was it took me a, a good three months to like even feel somewhat comfortable mm-hmm. with everything. So. Um, I'm curious, like, were you were you at all like worried during that three months, or or did you feel like you had the space to learn in that three months? Bench prep definitely didn't never gave me the sense that um, I was expected to pick up everything uh, all at once. Like they knew that I was going to do it in my own time, and so I never felt any kind of pressure to learn as much as I can even though I did but there was never pressure to like just learn everything at at once so yeah I mean I think it just came down to really trusting the process and asking a bunch of questions um and really trying to absorb as much as possible Mm -hmm. so that worked out uh, I might ask and uh, swing back to Julia on that topic. Was, was there anything that you thought that you did that was particularly effective at uh, like asking the right questions or approaching a new language? I guess you, if you had support of, 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 of bench prep, but a little bit more on your own than say in a school environment. I pretty much asked a question like at every turn. <laughs> Julia was very good at asking questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> Yeah, certainly coming from the boot camp we all did where using Express um, and or yeah, using Express and of course JavaScript on the front end where there are these explicit like require statements in the back and import in the front. I think I'm getting that right still. Um, certainly in Rails for the back end, there's much less of that because the you know the file structure in a Rails project just like kind of dictates a lot of that for you um and that was bothersome to me (laughs) and I couldn't see how how certain you know certain methods were getting made available in whatever file or whatever class the way I would have been able to perhaps at least more so in a project we did at boot camp not in that wasn't rails and so where did you turn when you wanted to know those things? Were you asking other developers? Were you asking the documentation? Were you digging into, you know, core Rails source code? What, what were you doing? I think uh, probably all of those things more to my detriment than my benefit. <laughs> um, because ultimately, you know, doing all of those is time consuming. Um Certainly what was the most helpful was just asking other engineers who were familiar with our code anyway. Uh, and so a while ago, David, you said that you felt like it took maybe three months to feel like you were on. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, I'll ask both Julia and, and Kevin, start with Kevin. Did you feel like there was like a length of time that it took you to feel like you were on? And if so, like how long do you think it took to cross that threshold? Well, I think they they I think I felt useful within a couple months. Not not saying that I was taking on anything particularly difficult within those first 2 months. Again, cuz they were sort of giving us kind of I I feel like they were giving us relatively easy sto- easy stories to to begin with. They like they had um, they had sort of a backlog of 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 
small changes. <laughs> yeah, we used to have um, the label. Uh, wasn't it like, do you remember what the label was? No. It was like but a I newbie label. I think it was newbie, it... actually. So we had newbie <laughs> tickets that we could pick up. Mm-hmm. Um. And and uh, yeah, I think when 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 I would get stuck, um, I did a variety of things. I think one thing that was one re- really interesting experience, I think, along these lines, was that um, you know when I started, there's this list of stuff, right, um, that you could learn. Some of which I was familiar with, some of which I felt pretty competent with, and some of which I had never worked with before. And it was easy to kind of get yourself in a trap to think, oh, I've got to learn, I've got to learn everything I need to know about CoffeeScript because we use some CoffeeScript and I've got to learn a relearn jQuery and I've got to make sure that I know Backbone because there's a big chunk of our front end that uses this library called Backbone. Um, and of course I need to learn Vue, but that's a lot like React, so maybe that won't be so hard and, and so on. Um, so it, it can feel a little overwhelming, like, oh, there's all these things I need to learn. And at the same time, you want to be doing productive work, um, whatever that means. And at a certain point, I remember deciding one day, it's like, I need to learn Backbone. I, I've been thinking that I'm just going to sort of pick this up as I go along, and I haven't picked it up, and I don't really understand what it is. And so I just, without telling anyone, I just took a couple days to work through a tutorial. Um, and it helped me a tremendous amount. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think at the time I wasn't really sure how people would react to that. Like if someone, if my manager found out, like, what were you doing the last two days? You were just working through a tutorial. <laughs> um, so I was a little... I had a little anxiety about it, but of course, uh, everyone was, whenever I would talk about it afterwards, um, it didn't surprise anyone. It didn't, no one thought it was a bad idea that I spent a couple days working through a a backbone tutorial. And of course it helps me tremendously. Um, so I guess it was this, this sense of like, uh, as a new developer there thinking, I wish they would, you know, tell me to go do this tutorial on Backbone and spend a couple of days doing that, and then realizing like, well, no one's telling me not to do that, so I'm just going to do it, um, and uh, and it was fine. And people, another example of that was sort of like, I wish there was more documentation for new hires and for juniors. Um, we should have more documentation for new hires and and juniors. And so I just started doing that. I just started making documentation, and um, and no one was upset with me for spend, <laughs> for spending time doing this. Um, they were quite happy that I did it, um, or other people maybe didn't notice. Um, but uh, anyone who seemed to notice and mention it to me were quite happy that I had spent time making little tutorials about how to, um, you know, how to deploy apps or how to log into a remote server or whatever I was creating a little documentation for. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little more about that uh, sort of what form that documentation took and what, um, you know, how you maintained it over time and, and what benefit you saw from it? Sure. So I felt like there was this, 
there was this kind of there were these things that um, I would have to like little processes. They weren't like huge things of how to do something, but they were like little 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 chunks of knowledge that I often would have to ask Pete for help on two or three times in part because you would do it once and then you wouldn't do it again for three, three or four weeks or two or three months later. So there, so for instance, um, we, uh, um, well, we didn't use Kubernetes at the beginning, but for instance, we're using Kubernetes and that means that we have these remote servers that we can, um, we can create a container, create a pod that will have a container for one of our apps and we can log into that container remote and we can, um, run scripts remote that alter data for uh, in our database or that can run reports or do other things. Um, and that's, there's no documentation online. I mean, there is documentation online for Kubernetes, but how to do it very specifically for our apps and for our clusters, our Kubernetes clusters, um, you know, there weren't, uh, there wasn't like a specific how to to do that or maybe there was and I didn't know where it was <laughs> um, so this the idea with these I created a series of things called uh, that I called snack and learns and they were just um, something that you could learn or read in like five minutes and I made a couple how-to videos that went along with them and it would be like how do you log into the Kubernetes cluster and run a script or um, I can't remember what some of the others were, but basically they were the kind of little nuggets of knowledge that were fairly domain specific um, or had something about them that was domain specific to bench prep um, that usually we would all have to ask about. I mean, one of the things that was happening was I think at the beginning, so there's four of us that got hired at the same time within like three weeks, four juniors, and we were all keeping notes, right? We're all keeping little a notebook or some sort of Git repository or something with a bunch of notes, keeping track of all the little pieces of thing, knowledge that we've learned. Um, and at a certain point, it was just some of these things should be in a place where, where we just have access to each other's little pieces of knowledge. How has that repository aged? How much effort do you have to put into to keeping it current? Um, I'm not sure how well it's aged, um, because I'm not, I'm not, I haven't had to refer back to any of those things for a while. The things that I, mm -hmm. I wrote these about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, around the time that we were getting gearing up to hire some new juniors. Um, I think they got used at that time and Julia can maybe speak to that. Um, my hope was that as new, as we hired new people, they would start to contribute or to the documentation and, and write their own snack and learns for things that they've learned and that it would just kind of magically become a, a tradition that builds upon itself. <laughs> like they would just, they would get hired and think, Oh yeah, we've always done snack and learns. So I'm going to start doing, I'm going to start making little snack and learns. And at, to a certain extent, I think that's happened. Um, you know, the way we used to log into a remote server changed because we had, we switched over to Kubernetes. Um, I don't remember when, but it was during the time I, I, I worked for them. I've been working for them. 
And so I think there were certain, there, there might be things that have become obsolete. Um, and I, I'm kind of okay with that because I think certain pieces of the documentation, if nobody, if they become kind of obsolete and nobody searches for them anymore, that's okay. It's kind of like um, Stack Overflow. There's, you know, millions of questions that have been asked on Stack Overflow that are relatively obsolete and nobody searches for them and it's okay. They're just, they just kind of, it, it's the ones that are more active um, that I think are more important. And that is something I, I think. I don't know if I agree with you there, Kevin. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, I, I, I will put this caveat on it. There are, there are certain uh -huh. aspects of our, of our, of our documentation, like we have a pretty good uh, document about how to set up your dev environment, because that's uh -huh. the first task, the first big task that um, any new developer has to do. They have to, they get their new Mac, and they have to set up all their local repos, right? And inevitably, every time that someone walks through that process, it's you know it's a pretty big uh, readme um, that's attached to our main repo. Um, every time someone walks through that, there's little things that can be improved, and that's part of the process is that they, you know, if, the, if a warning comes up that someone else hasn't seen before or if an extra step has to be taken, that, uh, uh, then it's the responsibility of the person who's walking through that documentation to improve it. And that, that kind of documentation does get improved pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. I'm Colin, I'm trying to remember the conversation you and I had a while back about documentation as a liability. Yeah. Does we, this ring a bell? It does ring a bell. So we were talking about this, uh, this conundrum of documentation, which is that you want it, but then you also at some point, as you start to run into the stale documentation, you start to like potentially distrust all of the documentation. And I do think I like, I do see the nuance in if there's a tool that's not being used anymore, such as like if at some point you stopped using Kubernetes entirely, then nobody around would know to type the word Kubernetes into the documentation search. Uh, and so they would be un unlikely to actually like feel that sting. Uh, and I think if you have something that is like regularly being accessed and we sort of expect that it's going to be improved as you go, like a onboard, like a setup doc, that makes some sense to me. Uh, I kind of, uh, I sort of opened my, my mind a little bit to the idea of like, you know what, sometimes the documentation dies and you just got to let it rest in peace uh, and not worry too much about it. Uh, but I think what, what, what's been a few things that have sort of come up here in this conversation so far are about uh, just like the 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 culture of communication and helping, but really what I want to hear more about is Kevin. You talked about uh, a few things that you did that you sort of described as risks that you took as a new developer, like making a choice to learn a new thing, or making a choice to write some some documentation. Uh, and I'm curious. I want to ask. Uh, let's ask Julia. Do you feel like you did anything uh, in your early days at the company that you like took on as a risk or just sort of like did without being asked to do so that you thought helped you on board? Those were some dark days. Um, I had no idea. Yeah, let's talk about the dark days. This is why, this is why people are, are, are listening. They're probably going um, through dark days too. Yeah. Um, 
I I definitely took thorough notes and I had plans to open pull requests against actually quite a few of the setup readmes where things had become um, outdated or yeah, like they were no longer correct. Um, I don't know if I ever got around to doing that myself. <laughs> uh, if you are if, if you're at all co- comfortable though, you did say dark dark days. Is there anything that uh, stands out to you as like why those felt like dark days? Um, hard, hard uh, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, were there any moments where you, you felt like you broke through through that? Anything that, that, that you did or any one of the other employees around you did that helped you get through that? Um, like back within my first three or four months, um, I think the first time I made a helpful comment on a pull request, I was like, wow, I can actually make constructive criticism on code of another professional or a professional developer, not another, because I didn't call myself one. <laughs> That's your but of course, you yeah. you were one. Probably. I mean, somebody was paying you. Somebody somebody saw fit to hire you. Yeah. Uh, and saw the potential, and here you are a year later. Yes. David, did you have any firsts that that stood out to you? As like uh, the first time I commented on someone's pull request, or first time I I did blank. Um. Yeah, I. Similar to Julia, I like spotted an error for one of our senior engineers, Ooh. and he like said okay, and I was very proud of myself. What was the nature of the error? I think um, uh, instead of sorting, ascending, whatever he was using was sorting the other way. Huge, yeah, huge. Reverse. I mean, mistake. potentially huge. Yeah, <laughs> and did. Did those pull requests turn out to be uh, a, a useful learning exercise? I still find it difficult, but it's also, and I think we'll probably all agree here, um, among the best opportunity to learn is just looking at a pull request that you have a bit of context on. And I think it's, at least for me, I think it can be a bit better than just like diving into any random part of the code base because... With a pull request, um, you you already have an idea from you know from the ticket of like what all of this code is supposed to accomplish, which I and I think that context is super helpful, um, and it's you know certainly it pulls in from parts of the code base that exist already, but nevertheless your scope is more limited um, in terms of things you that might like things that you might want to explore to help you understand it, it narrows down. I mean, I think the way they handle pull requests is kind of interesting because really from the earliest days we were encouraged to review pull requests. It wasn't like, uh, you know, we would have, we'd have meetings and we'd talk about make sure everybody's doing pull requests and they, and they didn't say it like make sure everyone's doing pull requests except for you four new juniors. (laughs) Um, uh, now saying that, what what would that mean? You know, as as a as a, I I don't know when I merged my first pull request, but it was a long time. I mean, I I didn't feel comfortable merging actually merging a pull request until 
maybe nine months or a year in or something like that. And I remember saying... You mean merging a, a, pull, a pull request that had been submitted by someone else? Exactly. So someone submits a pull request, um, and then the it's custom that it needs to be reviewed by at least one other engineer before it gets merged. So so yeah, in the in the earlier days, I would I would review something, and I I think my reviews often looked like something. I would say something like, um, it uh, from what I can tell, it seems to work, but I would be more comfortable if someone else, more senior, <laughs> uh, reviewed it and mer and actually did the merging. Rather than like like my review is not good enough because I don't mm -hmm. fully understand this code yet. Um, but there wasn't what was what's interesting is that I think you know I talked to some of the other engineers about this. Other there were some juniors who were hired about a year before uh, David and I, and I remember recently saying something like, "Yeah, it took me about a year to merge my first pull request," and. Uh, and this engineer, who was also a junior, uh, but had another year experience in mine, and who I looked up to quite a bit, and thought, "Oh, he really knows what he's doing. He's really, he's really got his stuff together. and Knows this platform way better than I do." And he said the same thing. He's like, "Yeah, it took me about a year <laughs> before I merged my pull, pull request." <laughs> I think an, another big moment is just sort of asking someone to make a change. You know, wanting to do that in a way that doesn't seem rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I think this should be done a different way, um, and how to how to write that in a pull request without feeling like you're being snarky or rude. I don't know. It's it's a weird way to communicate with people. That's always hard. Uh, I think that uh, struggling with trying to to figure out like. Uh, is this a change that I'm asking for because it's not the way that I would do it? Or is it a change that I'm asking for because it's genuinely important? Uh, and getting confident and, and comfortable and navigating the difference between those two things, I think, is a continuing ch challenge long into, into my career. Because uh, you don't want to be like a, a pesky jerk about stuff uh, or inflexible about different opinions about ways that things should should, should be done. One of the things I've I've heard from all three of you is uh, you've expressed that you felt you should be making significantly larger or more more significant contributions than than you were actually being asked to do. Is that is that true? Am I hearing that correctly? Would would you characterize that as the case? It sounds like you actually had a, a have a very supportive um, and reasonable work environment. So so yeah. So there's I think that there is. I have been struck over and over again where it's like I'm feeling a bit of an internal pressure to be more productive or to do something that maybe I'm not capable of quite yet. And others around me uh, feeling like it's fine. You know, you're, you're still learning. You haven't worked in this part of the code base before. Why would you know how to do this? Um, so yeah, I think uh, most of the stress I have felt, and I haven't felt a lot of stress in this job, um, but most of the stress I've felt I think is more an internal kind of stress than stress coming from you know, other engineers or the uh, manager. Knowing that our audience is uh, current and recent bootcamp grads, um, is there anything you want to expand on there as far as um, 
getting, you know, having, having trouble getting into your first job, like feeling, having, a, having rough patches in the work, uh, anything you want to, like, what do you maybe wish you had known or wish someone had told you earlier? It's okay to just try things. Like, it's okay to not, before you, you know, just, just try some code and, and reload the page and see what happens. It's okay to not have read the documentation on whatever method you try or um, something like that. I guess I kind of thought that engineers like always know exactly what they're doing all the time and that's not true and that is apparently at least um (laughs) from what I've seen that is kind of part of the profession is just even taking those tiny risks and just seeing what happens and then figuring out why it works later instead of wasting time reading thing reading about things that might not work for your whatever your use case is uh, you can't Kevin, see. Kevin, did you? Have... Oh yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, I was just gonna say that I'm smiling hearing you de- describe that as like a core truth of being a software developer. Uh, but I do want to hear most more definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely guilty of that in a sense. <laughs> Julie and I have, have paired on, on several things, and and uh, I don't. It, this is this is just how I how I work often. Is I just I keep I will make small changes. supposedly working on and I'll just put some console logs in there and see what pops out, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not I'm not uh, necessarily careful on every step, if that makes sense. So I'll, I'll yeah. try things to see what works. And um, actually I, I've been working much harder to be a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more incremental in what I in what I do or or I guess in a thinking about coding in terms of these very small incremental steps and and uh, and committing off often uh, uh, rather than trying to just write a bunch of code and trying to get it to generate but yeah I, I, I feel that I mean, I've, <laughs> I have certainly seen that in both, both as an engineer and as an instructor, I've seen a lot, I guess, especially as an instructor, a lot of students come through with um, really struggling with exactly what you're describing with feeling the need to know everything, to understand everything. And the truth is like, You'll never understand everything. There will always be something at the edge of your understanding that just kind of works, that you know if you toss out this magical incantation, you'll get back what you want. And as long as the incantation doesn't change, then you'll still get back what you want. And for right now, that's good enough. And, I, you know, that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with um, to to bring into their professional lives. And I think that is, that is something that I would love 
more people to get more comfortable with. I'm, I was just going to say that that's how I felt at the beginning of full stack because we were just told to like do run a bunch of commands and I had no idea what was happening. And I, that like that, that I struggle with that because I'm not used to that kind of operating that way. So, and trying, but we didn't have time to stop at each step and try to figure out what was happening at each step. So that, I mean, I understood, I understand now why we were doing that, but at the time it was, it was kind of a struggle. Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel there are things that you, you just sort of do and trust that they'll work? Kind of the DevOps side for sure. I kind of just take it for granted. Like I'm just going to run some scripts. Like I'm going to run the command and not worry about that right now because I'm not at the point where I'm going to be, I need to spend way more time than I have to even begin to understand that kind of stuff. So that I kind of, yeah, there are definitely things in the cold base that I kind of just take for granted. And the world has not come crashing down. Which is fine. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm recalling like an old memory. Uh, so my, my father's a software engineer. And when I was learning to program, uh, was right after I got out of school, uh, at a high school with a friend. Really, I dropped out, as some of the people on this call will be aware of. Uh, but I had a friend who was doing some web de development. He said, hey, you should get into this. And so we were studying Ruby on Rails, in fact, uh, just getting a book and, and going through it. And at some point, uh, we, I think we were helping my dad move between apartments. And we were talking about what, what we were doing. And my friend Quinn said, uh, in describing what, what we were doing, he's like, oh, we just had to like get past our fears. And my dad was like, kind of chuckled and said, yep, I know what you mean. And so hearing that this conversation and sort of uh, it turning towards this discussion of like those types of fears that, that I think we were all talking about is this fear that like I will immediately do something right now by typing into this computer and sort of getting over that, that realization that the you the bad things will happen, but they won't be like those are the steps towards the solution are the bad things that you're afraid of of, of getting wrong. That like very rarely are you literally at a terminal at a production ser server where pressing the wrong button will like lose money. Uh, that most of the time at your computer, you're like the worst thing that would happen is that I have to like maybe like reinstall my operating system and like spend half a day getting my environment rebuilt. Uh, and that like getting past those fears, I think is a really big, a big step for an engineer. And I kind of feel like when, when I talk to people about programming, you can kind of like hear it in their voice that they kind of like, they laugh at the computer. They scoff at it. And it's like, ha, this thing, I just type at it and it does stuff and it's okay and kind of absurd in a way. Uh, so it, it definitely has like brought a, a very big smile on my face to hear this conversation turn to like that type of, that way of relating to programming as, as the, the, this thing that like you overcome this fear of the machine and kind of like, yeah, uh, I really enjoy it. Should we wrap there? Sure. <laughs> Scoff at the absurdity of, of the machine as an important career step? Yes. 
Uh, well, this has been a pleasure. David, Kevin, Julia, thank you for joining. Thank you. Sure.